Thank you, Heaven Bound. Would you bow your heads with me today? Jesus, as uh, the best thing, the only thing, the greatest thing that we have to offer anybody that's here today is Jesus. You fill our hearts. You carry us when we can't carry ourselves. You strengthen us when we're out of our own strength, and you teach us that we shouldn't have been walking in our strength in the first place. And I pray, Jesus, that in your spirit and in the word of God today, will you just speak to us, convict us. For everybody that is here today, something tugs on their heart about our country. Will you help them know, and will you help encourage them? Will you speak to them today to know that they can do all things, most especially if they partner up with you. You and any one of us can defeat any army. Give us guidance, direct us, teach us, and speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we got a high five, man. There's a program on TV, kind of spawned off of a reality of something. Have any of you ever seen the show... Uh, uh, intercession, interaction, intercession, something like that. What the uh, uh, intervention? Lost my own word. Dale, you cursed me. You told me don't mess up, and I messed up. Right? It's all your fault, man. Intervention. You ever see the show Intervention on TV where somebody is having a difficulty with somebody they love, and they've tried everything else. They've tried, uh, it could be family and friends, they've tried talking to them individually, they've tried treatment, they've tried a lot of different things, and finally, because of maybe they're struggling with abuse in their marriage, or maybe it's alcohol, or maybe it's tobacco, or something like that, and, uh, or alcohol, or drugs, and, and they come and they, they say, you know, nothing else has ha- worked, so... It, they bring a bunch of people, family and friends together. They have what's called an intervention. There's a program on TV that actually kind of does the exact same thing. How would you like to be that? How would you like to be that person? All your family and friends show up with a camera and they're going to video because we want to put some pressure on you. We want to put some pressure on you. Now, normally when somebody does something like that, it's, it's literally because their life is spinning out of control. And if you wouldn't mind me just kind of using the title today, they're kind of in a tailspin. Take a look at your notes, everybody. At the top of your notes, I have three definitions for the word tailspin. The first one you're probably familiar with, it's the rapid descent of an aircraft in a steep spiral spin. The second definition also was right there with Merriam-Webster, and it said it's a loss of emotional control resulting in emotional collapse. The third definition is the one, as I read and studied this week's message, I wrote personally, it's no, you won't find it anywhere other than right here, it's not worth anything, but it's a loss of moral control, resulting in moral and spiritual collapse. Individuals, families, and nations can get into a tailspin out of moral collapse. And in the top of your notes, if you're new to Life House Church, you have a set of sermon notes in your program, or you can pull out your smartphone. You can go to the Bible app, touch the three lines, go right down to live events, and see all of the notes that are here today. I have at the top of your notes there, uh, obligated to. And I really need you, even though I have one reference to Romans, the first chapter, I need you in your Bibles, and I need you on your phones to get to Romans, the first chapter, and we'll follow along because I only have just a little bit to get us kicked off today. Here is Paul writing to the Romans. 
And he says in verse 14, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, I don't know how much you know about Rome at that time, but it wasn't really a pretty place. Matter of fact, if you have the New King James or the King James Version, it basically says he's obligated to the Gentiles and the barbarians. Barbarians. Verse 15. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. You see, there were Christians in Rome. He was planning to get to Rome. He says it in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is, here's a key word. Could you underline it? We'll look at it again. The righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is obligated to the Romans. He he knows that there's Christians there, but he knows something about here. He, He knows that this place, like you may know and you may have studied, give me a little bit of light out there in the sanctuary for me if you don't mind. He knows out there that what they had going on was just a cesspool of debauchery. A cesspool of debauchery. It was an immoral and in a social tailspin. Matter of fact, if you were an emperor in Rome, in a short period of time, I forget what the time was, uh, 10 or 20 years, uh, they went through about 20 emperors, maybe probably a little longer than that. It was a dangerous thing to be an emperor in Rome because nobody was ever satisfied. You probably know, as every great nation, it's basically just collapsed. But Paul held out hope for them. He had an intervention for them and with them because he knew one thing. He knew what the gospel had done for him, and I hope you know what it's done for you. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel because he knew about the power of it to change. And as I look here and I take a look at America, and oftentimes people have uh, compared America to Rome, I, I think that as we read down through here, we ask ourselves the question, and I find myself, as I have been preparing and thinking about this, you know, our country, our leaders, and many of the people, they're drifting away from God in our country. And sometimes my concern is, number one, I talk to a lot of Christians. They don't know what, a lot of what I'm going to share with you today. Some of you are going to say, how could nobody know that? But I am finding Christians, they don't even want to watch the news. It's just so doggone depressing. They don't want to see what's going on in our country. I find Christians sometimes, you'll hear some of the things that we're talking about today, and you'll say, I really don't care about that. You'll click our tongue or shake our head, but not do anything about it, and feel no obligation to our country and our people. So I want to take a look at four different ways as we read down, starting at verse 18, of how they were spinning out of control. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God, here's that same word, everybody, is being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed. So basically, it's very simple, fill in the blank. Number one, God's wrath is being revealed. The word revealed here means to take off the cover. It means to take off the cover, take a look at it, to disclose. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You know, I often thought that when you think about the wrath of God, you think, you know, well, it's going to be end times and the wrath of God is coming. As I looked at this and I looked at the context and I looked at the fact that this is an ongoing, this is something that was happening in that day and age. And as we go down, it's going to sound an awful lot like America. The wrath of God was being revealed in a way different than it will be in end times. But Paul states about the wrath of God's coming and then he pauses 
to, number two, give us the cause of God's wrath. He doesn't tell us exactly just yet what it is, but he says, I want you to know the cause of it. Look at verse 19 with me. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, people say, yeah, I don't really know that there's a God if I'm an atheist, if that, the other. Now, I ask you the question, who do we believe? God who says he's made himself known to all people, nobody's without excuse, or people who say, I, I don't really know that there's a God. Isn't that cute little saying where all those letters run together that says God is nowhere, and somebody divides it up differently and says God is now here. I have in your notes that God has made himself knowable, and one of the reasons his wrath is coming because of it is because people ignore him. Say that there's a God conscious. Say what you want. You can study people on all different continents. They have this sense that there's a being to be worshipped. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen so being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, what he basically says is, is when you pick up something and you see what it is, do you know that there's a scientific preface that it, it, anything that exists only exists when there's something smarter than it and more powerful than it? You know that. You take a look at this and say, somebody smarter and more powerful put this together and made this. But isn't it interesting, the passage of Scripture says, God can be known by what is seen, and you all have maybe a smartphone, or you have an iPhone, or whatever it is. You know somewhere, in some factory, somebody put it together, and you believe that by faith. And the Scripture says, every person can take a look at the divine qualities of our creation and know that God exists. The reason that wrath is coming is God's power and divinity are clearly seen in all creation, and people say, no, I don't see it. And you know what's happening in our world. We give all kinds of credit to some type of a bang explosion. Verse 21. For although they knew God, two things. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. One of the reasons, the third cause that I see in maybe a little bit, is that they didn't thank God. They didn't praise God. They, God's greatest creation didn't offer thanks to him for what we have or glorify him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here is the wrath of God. Here's the reason. It's beginning to darken. It's beginning to see what is happening to them. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools. In the world, when you claim to believe in God, you're made to look like the fool. The scripture says, there are people who don't, can't look around and see the God of creation, our intelligent design, they got to be foolish. They're without excuse, verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. God is not given glory or thanks from his greatest creation, you and me. Now I find... As I talk about our country being in a moral and spiritual tailspin, it can be compared an awful lot to, to Rome. In a lot, in, in many different ways. And you think about well, how he ends here, and he talks about they exchanged all of that for, from an immoral God to creation. And I, I think about what's going on, and you see and you know and understand some of these things. American leaders, our government, a lot of people are putting the environment before God, before people, before the unborn. You probably may have heard this past week, uh, Madam Speaker said this, quote, 
We have a moral responsibility to protect God's creation for generations to come. Wow, that's really nice. That sounds really interesting. You're acknowledging God in this sense. And then she says, that is why today we named members to the Select Committee on Climate Crisis. Now, folks, you can look this up. 1975, front cover of Life magazine. I believe it was April. You look it up, maybe the month is wrong. Uh, the ice age was returning, according to scientists. Global cooling was coming. Then they changed it to global warming lately. And then since they can't get that right, it's all climate change. And if you've listened to some of the nutty wackos who worship our climate, who worship our world, they are worshiping everything other than the creator. Claim, making claims on things like in, what, 12 years, 20 years, you know, we won't be around. And what's this uh, nutty lady's name, Alexandria Cortez, you know? Wonderful. She, she, she's awesome. She, she's a, a representative for New York, and she came out of bartending to lead. Folks, I, I'm not here to mock or to put anybody, but you understand and know the whole reason that they're going to do anything about climate change is they want our money. You follow the money, a carbon tax. All the meanwhile, somebody running for president at last go-around insisted, a socialist, mind you, that he must fly private. I am not saying these to anger upset us. I'm saying because I believe what Paul believed. He had an obligation to Rome, and you and I as Christians, we have an obligation to America. And we can't just be clicking our tongue, shaking our heads, talking about everybody else. We have to do something. They have done something. Folks, the people that are rising up and have come through our educational system, what will we expect them to be and do and say? They have children that are terrified of our climate change because of this teaching. They have taught them it through grade school, through college, through master's degrees and everything, and now, now they're taking political office. But what are we going to do? Paul saw what was going on. We see what's going on. I want to call us back to Paul's words. He says he felt an obligation. He knew there's something that could change them. It would be the power of the gospel. He wasn't ashamed of it. The gospel can change somebody. Number three, God's wrath can be seen. So he had talked about the fact that God's wrath was coming. He gave us three causes at least, maybe a couple more. But then he says in verse 24 that God's wrath can be seen. Look at, therefore God gave them over. Now that phrase is going to be used three times. One of the things that you'll see here, let me just go on. He gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. You understand what he just said there, right? You want your way? Go your way. There's only two ways a person can be uh, uh, led in, in the scriptures. Two ways, led by the spirit or led by the sinful nature. Two ways. You can't find a third way. Those are two ways. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now here it talks about every kind of sexual sin. He's going to get down to something a little more specific, but this is every kind of sexual sin. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Isn't it interesting? Earlier Paul said they won't give him glory and they won't give him thanks and he sticks it right in here after he says anything. He says, our God who is forever praised. Did you pick that up? So A, in your notes there, it's not always what God does. It's also 
what God doesn't do. It's also God just kind of letting go, letting us be our own gods, letting us make our own moral decisions according to what we think rather than what he knows. The second thing I derive out of there that wrath, God's wrath can be seen is God gave them over. He let them live without his protection. One of the things I know, being raised and coming to know at 25 or 26, is that I was a sinner. I needed something to save me. I needed God's protection, and it came in the person of Jesus Christ. Without that protection, I was led to Evan's own way. And because of the preaching of the gospel, myself, my boss, Dick Zafferatis, his son, Pete Zafferatis, and all the families were changed because of the preaching of the gospel. I happened to sit under Pastor Dale during that time, and so did Pete, and so did his dad. The preaching of the gospel, it changes people. That's the hope, and that's our obligation to people every day. Look at verse 26 with me. Because of this, here's the second phrase, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Just handed them over, right? The wrath of God is being seen. He just said, you got free will. He hands them over. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned excuse me, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. The wrath of God is being seen. It's not the end times wrath, but the end time, but the wrath of God is being seen here. See, God gave them over. They became people who practiced shameful behaviors and felt no shame. Shameful behaviors and felt no shame. Instead of feeling shame, they're proud. Now, we all know, and I can have conversations that adultery is wrong, sex outside of marriage is wrong, but sex with a man or a woman is wrong. It's interesting. I can have a conversation. I can sit down. I can say to somebody, you know, you know that this was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. And they, they kind of know it. And I can talk to a, a couple who's having sex outside of marriage, and they know it's wrong. But you get to the place that's happening in our country where you say to a man who's with a man or a woman who's with a woman, what you're doing is wrong, it's sinful, and you are the bigot. You are the hater. You can't speak to that. People who should feel shame for it, they're proud of it. They have parades called pride parades. They're proud of it. And it's what's happening in our country. You think that Paul's talking about Rome? You think he's talking about America. They will become enraged, and they will say to us, who do you think you are? But, you know, in amidst all of that, I was a sinner. Maybe that wasn't my sin, but somebody had an obligation. Some of you know Bernie and Donna Nero. Donna Nero's family began to share the gospel with us, began to give us a Bible, and began to talk to us. I was walking through Lakeland College, and at the time she's sharing the gospel, and we think the Gideons are there giving Bibles out. I got invited to go to church where I'd never had been outside of my, my denomination. I went to church, started to hear the gospel. And the obligation of the church that I went to to share the gospel is the obligation we have. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Folks, it is easy to be rebellious and to be haters back at when we're hated, but we have an obligation to them, number four. People have lost their minds. 
I may, I, sorry. <laughs> Their thinking took them farther and farther away from God and closer and closer to evil and God's wrath. Look at verse 28. You don't think they lost their minds? Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain or hold on to the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. That's the third reference to it, everybody. To a depraved mind. They've lost their mind so that they do what ought not to be done and we shake our heads and can't figure it out and don't understand. Hey, look at the word here in verse 29. They become filled, filled, everybody, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are, here's the word, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Just when you think, it, it's, it's, they're inventing new ways. I'll show you one here in just a minute. They disobey their parents. For any of you here who are adults that have parents or who are children who have parents, that is grouped right in with not some very nice characteristics. Obey your mom and your dad. Show some respect to them. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's just get like-minded people around us. They've lost their minds. Let's get a bunch of people with depraved minds around us, and we will say what we are doing is right, and we will stand against everything else that everybody has, religious-wise, God-wise, and Jesus-wise, that is for sure. Rome, remember, we're talking about Rome. They were in a tailspin. America, we're in a tailspin. Gave you a couple examples. I got one more for you. You've probably seen that the governor of New York uh, has signed a pretty aggressive abortion bill. I read that he wants to make it a constitutional right for everyone to be able to have an abortion. The governor of Virginia, Northam, talked about abortions and talked about uh, how the uh, viability of the baby outside the womb. Some of you, you've heard this, and some of you, you haven't heard this. And this is what I found about Christians. They're, they're not hearing this. They're not knowing this. They're not knowing what's going on. They're talking about having the baby and having it outside, putting it on the table, and then ha is it viable to keep it or whatever. And after that was done, there were applause. Did you see it? There were applause. Somebody called it the applause from hell. What was another part of this whole bill? I wrote several of them down here, got them for you. They were going to go from a criminal law to a public health law. Just made it a public health concern, not a criminal law. They had changes to the law to allow licensed, certified, and authorized health practitioners to perform abortions instead of limiting it to a physician. Let's just kind of open it up to anybody. I found it quite interesting that somebody said to the Madam Speaker when she talked about creation and when she talked about God's creation that somebody responded to her, quote, does God's creation not include protecting babies as well, Madam Speaker? A committee on that issue would be quite welcomed. We can read about the horrifics of the killing of millions of people by the Nazis and just shake our head and say how wrong it is. And we can read in the Gospels that Herod wanted every boy two years and under cut in half. And the passage of Scripture fulfilled the prophecy, there's weeping and wailing in Rachel. Their sons are no more. We understand and see that, but it's what's happening right in our 
in our midst. And the question to me is, is do we have any obligation? Paul would say, yes, many Americans in and of our country, they've lost their minds and they are seeing God's wrath. Now I have in your notes that there's a way to get out of a tailspin. I went onto a forum where pilots were talking. I didn't say anything on it because I didn't want to show how stupid I was. But there was a way, and they talked about different model planes and different ones. One was a Cessna on how to get a plane. Any pilots here? All right, we got a pilot here. So you probably know exactly what I'm going to say, and you'll correct me later if I got it wrong. That's sure. I'm just showing you. One of the, they have this think through, this procedure, if your plane goes into a tailspin. The uh, ailerons, the flaps on the wings are supposed to be dead center. You're supposed to, if you're in a tailspin, put them dead center. The elevator uh, uh, neutral yoke has to be right in the middle. You have to apply full rudder opposite direction of the spin. This should halt the rotation and allow you to pull the nose up gradually and safely. And I'm sure that I missed a little few things there. But there is a process and a procedure for getting a plane out of a tailspin. I know that there's many that you cannot, no matter what you do, get them on a tailspin. You know what happened to Rome, and you know the direction America's heading, but there's a way to get us out of the tailspin. It will take the heart and the attitude of Paul and the knowledge that Paul had to say, I'm obligated to all these people he's talking about. We're obligated to them. We're obligated because we have the, the good news. We're obligated because we know that through revival and personal involvement, we can get out of the tailspin. You've known many people with an intervention whose life was spinning out of control on tailspin who turned it around. I do. I do. And you do. Nations can turn it around. That's, that's why I have the asterisks in your notes that we have an obligation. I've said it a million times, right? We have an obligation. Paul knew the, the, the solution. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed? Are you seeing its power? Are you seeing it change people's lives? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 5.17. We can be changed. If anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. All of these people, I was one of them. I was one of them. We are put on the defensive ongoingly and consistently. Probably shouldn't tell you this, but my wife for Valentine's Day got me a red hat. It happens to have the words, make America great on it. She upped our life insurance on me. <laughs> I tell you, that, that's a dangerous hat to wear where you go. You know, I could tell you a few stories about some people that came up to me and told me to be careful. And uh, we're put on the defensive. And what is our response? We need to be spirit-filled. We need to stand up. But we need to know that I was just like them, everybody. If it wasn't for the gospel and the power of it and the ability to change... I would not be standing here before you. Our obligation is to them, and I know you can't carry every one of them. Could I just ask you what your heart tugs at? Which of these tugs at your heart? Is it abortion or politics or science? Folks, we got out of politics a long time ago, and it's hurt us ever since. Who here will, could be said, I, I want to go into politics. I want to go into... You will be under attack. Will you stand for Christ in any way? You're going to be under attack. Who here will pray and intercede? Who here will do what they can do in any part so that we rise up as individuals and as Christians? I am not ashamed of the gospel, and I hope that you are not. 
If you're not, share it with somebody. I, my wife and I support uh, Voice of the Martyrs. And the front of this shirt says, this shirt is illegal in 53 countries. Restricted in 40 nations. Hostile areas, 13. Guess what it says on the backside? Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What's the power of salvation? Man, I can wear this in America. I can't wear a Make American Great hat, but I can wear that probably. And so I ask you today, don't write off the barbarians in America, because Paul didn't. Matter of fact, if you happen to start to read chapter 2, Paul had this caution of Christians judging other people in the same area of what they were doing. What are you going to do with the rest of your life for the kingdom, right? Our, th- our, our, our phrase, our theme this year is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What are you going to do? It's going to take individual people. What, is, what tugs at your heart, right? Last couple weeks we talked about being entirely sanctified. There's no better place for an entirely sanctified person than to be ready to share the gospel. Then be ready to do something. To be ready to be used some way. You came here today and you're thinking, you know, it's a lost cause. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to think. God, seek God's will. Will you spend some time in prayer and fasting? Maybe counsel with some Christians that you know are smart and wise. Call, maybe you're called into political office, or maybe you're called into full-time ministry, like I was, to go and to do something different, to spread the gospel. How about next Sunday, 5 o'clock, we're having a time of prayer. We're praying for the people who don't know Christ. We're praying for our country. Join us for prayer. Worship team is going to come and sing that song, maybe just a little less volume, down towards the end here, uh, Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He Lives, I can step up and do something outside my comfort zone because I've come to learn that if I'm doing everything that's inside my comfort zone, I can pretty much handle it without Jesus. Because He Lives. I was talking to uh, somebody who is very much informed, very much knows what's going on. I've heard this before. And this morning they told me that in Rome, they didn't have the ability to abort a child inside a womb. In Rome at this time. What they had was is they would deliver a baby and then they'd throw them on the garbage dumps. And at that time, just like in our day and age, in, that day, in the evening Christians would sneak out there, get the children and raise them. Christians have always been doing something on the activist side. What is it that tugs at your hearts today that you become committed to? You spend some time worshiping. You come to the altar if you need to this morning. We do what we do because he lives. His sanctifying power and his strength, resurrection power is inside of each and every one of us. Lord Jesus, you've reminded us today, I'm reminded as I read in Rome what was going on over there and Paul's care and concern, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I, burning the hearts and lives of Christians to not waste away our time just waiting to be resurrected into your arms and our life in heaven, but to do something to make a difference. We love America. We have something Rome did not have. We were founded on biblical and godly principles. Men who believed in God, though not all Christians. 
We have something they did not, Lord. Here are we. Use us to do something wonderful and great. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab